0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com
1: and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: It's the sound you've waited months to hear. It's caused some of your greatest triumphs. heartbreaks. The Duke Blue Devils are going to set a record here this afternoon. Never before have they won
1: 10 games in a season.
0: It's the option at Georgia Tech. It's Howard's Rock. The smoke in Miami. And every Saturday, you tap that That's is over. College football is here. Team week continues with the Duke Blue Devils having some recent success, at least in the form of what happened last year. And that soundbite, talking about them actually getting to 10 wins in 2013, that's shocking to me. And it's not because I know that Duke had been a football school that had been among the worst in all of the Power Five, any school that you wanted to point to. But yeah, it wasn't too long ago when they got their first double-digit winning season, Wes, in 2013 with... Kind of iconic coach. Like I've been trying to figure out if he's iconic with Duke, but man, when you are that bad, when you have a history of being that bad, their blue devils football program, and then David Cutcliffe comes over and then gets you to 10 and four, nine and four, eight and five and three straight seasons, you're bowl eligible and four straight seasons from 2012 to 2015. And then 2016, you have a little bit of a dip of course, before he was fired at the end of 2021. You can see that it looks like they're back on the right track as we start to look at what they've done here recently. So it really started to go downhill for David Cutcliffe. In 2019, you're 5-7. You don't and reach a bowl game. You're 2-9, and and then you're 3-9 and in back-to-back seasons. Mike Elko comes in and says to Riley Leonard and the members of that football team, we're not going to wait. We're going to win right now. This is not one of those things that we build towards, and then next year we're really going to compete. And we're going to win right here, right now, Wes. And as it was stated in that highlight, they were only one win shy – of their best record in football history the first year with mike elko they are certainly on the right track especially with riley leonard coming back that offensive line looking as good as it is a lot a lot of defenders coming back as well i think that's why you and a decent amount of people are so high on duke coming into 2023
2: yeah 18 starters returning for this team and it was the seventh time in school history that they've had a team win nine games or better. So this doesn't happen often, and that's why we have to uh, show it it's proper, uh, give it the proper credit, so to speak. But when you look at it, they became bowl eligible last year for the first time since 2018, and Coach Elko became the first head coach in program history to lead the team to nine wins and a bowl victory in their first season so he came in and checked off a lot of boxes duke has now won four straight bowl games which was one of the top 10 streaks in the nation when you want to go uh to that as well and so he also had nine all acc selections last season and this was a team that was on the cusp of having an even better season their four losses on the year came by a combined uh 16 points and so this was a football team that was in pretty much every game. This was a season that nobody expected from this crew. And it's just a program that just plain and simple doesn't have a lot of success until you talk about the Cutcliffe era. And now with Coach Elko, over the last 10 years, they have a 29-7 and 7 regular season. Record day 33 and 9 overall against non conference opponents. And in this last 25 non conference games, they are 20 and 6. And those are marks that when you talk about just looking at this program in its totality, nobody would have seen that coming from a decade worth of duke football from what you saw before
0: well i just didn't expect the offense to be as good as it was last year if you go to what they had at quarterback it was Gunnar holmberg who had the most amount of passing attempts in 2021 the last season for david cutcliffe he threw for over 2300 yards but had just seven touchdown passes and eight interceptions Riley Leonard, through just 62 pass attempts all season long, completed under 60% of those passes, had one touchdown and one interception combined. Wes, combined, the passing game had nine touchdown passes and nine interceptions through four different quarterbacks that got passing attempts. Riley Leonard steps up in 2022, your boy, and he becomes your boy for a good reason. How about a completion percentage that goes up to not anything crazy, but 64%, it's better than 59. You look at his touchdown to interception ratio, that's the biggest improvement. Riley Leonard throws for 20 touchdown passes and only throws six interceptions. So not only were they able to air it out a little more, they also took care of the football. And guess who your leading rusher was? It was your quarterback, Riley Leonard. Ran for 700 yards after, by the way, Mateo Durant the year prior was the best thing going for that football program. was a good running back, but nothing else was working for him. And so wasn't able to shine. Probably going to be one of the more underrated figures when we look back on it. Just was on a bad team. But you got enough production elsewhere to combat a loss. Like, that's what's crazy. The only good thing you had going for you, not playing for you the next season, and then you still are able to produce offensively with Riley Leonard, your quarterback. Hey, where are we going to manufacture the running game from? After that was the only thing that we had going for us. Oh, we'll just have this stud? Continue to run for 700 yards and run for 13 touchdowns, by the way. Jordan Waters is going to help us out as well. Jalen Coleman in just nine games ran for 480. I mean, they had a bunch of guys. Wes, they had four different guys run for over 400 yards. Jalen Coleman, just 20 yards shy of 500. So they were able to produce. They were able to manufacture something out of what was nothing the year prior. And that's why we all point to Mike Elko and say, That was the coach of the year, and there's not anybody that comes even close to what you were able to accomplish.
2: Yeah, and you talk about this uh, offense, and we'll get more into it tomorrow as well, but this was the eighth team in Duke history to register 2,000 rushing yards and over 2,000 passing yards. So this team was well-balanced, but this was a program, again, that's done a, a pretty good job of identifying its last couple of head coaches because you talk about before that the Ted Roof Carl Frank's era, Yeah, it was bad. I got recruited by the Carl Frank's regime, and I had zero interest in going to the Duke University. Uh, that was my first offer, by the way, was Duke University. No way. Yes, and I remember when my coach told myself and uh, one of my teammates that Duke wanted to offer scholarships, not to sound like um, arrogant young high school prospects, it's All right. but we were just like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> and it's like, and that was we'll it. See there, what they're talking there about. There was no, and, and for it to be your first ever offer, you're supposed to be like, oh my God, like, mm-hmm. I can't believe this. But I was just like, we were just like, Fizzle. oh. <laughs> yeah, we were just like, oh, Okay. <laughs> All right, Yeah, cool. It did it didn't work out.
0: Yeah, the, you're, you're right to bring that up. The last two coaching hires that they've had, we know the success that David Cutcliffe had to the point where now, I mean, you expected something different. Once you only had five wins combined, you get beat by Charlotte. Charlotte, the 49ers in 2021 to open up their season, have their first ever win against a Power 5 school. And from then on, it looked like it might just be the end, especially when they don't have any conference wins in the last year of David Cutcliffe. It's a great point to bring up because even so, even with his flame out, it was a great hire. I don't think anybody would argue that. And so was Mike Elko if the first season is an indication of things to come.
2: Yeah, and the thing about Duke, too, is this is a patient program when you're talking about uh, – football because Coach Cutkiff had four losing seasons before he finally got his first one and got them over the hump. Most schools, he'd have been done after two and a half. It'd have been, we'll see you later. And then they also gave him three seasons after their last bowl appearance under him uh, to right the ship again, but he just couldn't. So this is a program that you're going to get your chance to get this program on the right track. And so you have to applaud them for that because I'm sure a lot of people thought probably after the third season that Cutcliffe was not the guy. He was an older head coach. He was a guy that a lot of people were like, look, man, this guy's too old. The game has passed him by. We know the Manning connection. That's great, but he's not it. So I have to give them credit for that as well. Uh, this this athletic department has done a good job of bringing in the right coaches. And now this is a program that you step to a recruit now and tell them you have an offer from Duke. It's something that they will consider and they've been doing well on the recruiting trail we've documented that as far as racking up some uh, uh, a couple of Mm four-star guys and some really talented recruits on the horizon so the the depiction of this program has certainly changed due to now elko coming in having the success that he's had and Cutcliffe for that foundation that he laid
0: people might have liked the mike elko hire in real time and of course we can do the hindsight thing but if you go back and just look at what mike elko had accomplished before he takes over as duke's head coach we've should have been talking about this hire a lot more i mean if you look at this is why i said i didn't expect duke to be this good offensively last year because Mike Elko spent his time previously at a few different stops as the defensive coordinator as the orchestrator of what they would do on that side of the ball. In fact, you look at what he did in four seasons as DC and safeties coach at Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher, a pretty good college football coach, one of the few that has a championship under his belt he was named a semifinalist for the Frank Broyles Award, which is given annually to the top assistant coach in all of college football. Texas A&M Not necessarily a school you usually think of for having phenomenal defense, but here's Mike Elko as a defensive coordinator who comes in and has them ranking very high. Before his time with the Aggies, he spent a season with Brian Kelly, who as much as I've talked about not liking him so much, we know that Brian Kelly is still a very good football coach, so Elko now gets to pick the brain and the best things from Jimbo Fisher and Brian Kelly and also we know that he served three seasons with another one of your boys Wes defensive coordinator under head coach Dave Clawson, where Wake Forest was turning over the offense at a really high rate so Wake Forest you parlay that into Notre Dame you parlay that to Texas A&M he goes over to Duke we should have been singing his praises a lot more than what we were and not to say that we weren't giving him credit but maybe we should have seen it coming just a little bit a proven winner with big time head football coaches, guys that have been either to a championship game or have won a championship game. So really in hindsight, Wes, it's not all that crazy to expect him to know how to win right now instead of trying to build something towards the future. Oh, in year two or year three, we're going to win football. Games.
2: Yeah, and I know we're up against it, but I will admit when they hired Coach Elko, I was not with this hiring. I thought, especially, uh, you know, when i would seeing him and things of that nature and just dug into the high, I was like, man, I don't know. I was like, I don't know if this hire has the juice to be able to get Duke on the winning track. And then after I met him and heard what the players said about him, I was like, man, this is a pretty good hire, especially after the success that they had. But just meeting Coach Elko, he's got a ton of juice. Not to mention he had one of the moments, probably the biggest moment ever when we had coaches and players in our room that kind of knocked me off of my 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 pivot, so to speak, is when he told me uh, that he was, well, not told me, he said into the camera that he was a Mano fan. And that made my head pop up <laughs> automatically. I said, Mano because of all the random rappers you could throw out there for Coach Elko to be a big fan of Mano. I said, oh, this is going to be my guy. And he and I have had a great relationship ever since, man. So he definitely has all the juice. The players say he talks more trash in practice than they do.
0: Um, This is also a guy that comes across very genuine and it doesn't seem like used car salesman when no. he talks to you about no. selling an image he understands that he's giving you coach speak and he also understood like look ultimately it really doesn't matter what people rank as i'm not going to be mad at the media it's very different from biff poji who is angry and different strokes different folks right biff Poji's gonna use that as fuel to make sure that his team is ready to play every single saturday When we talk with Riley Leonard or you hear a Mike Elko talk at ACC kickoff, they're saying, look, whatever they want to do, however they want to rank us, it's not going to change what we do. And while other people can use that as fuel, that's fine. I just can't get worked up by it because I'm going to be the hardest working quarterback As much as I possibly can be regardless of what you predict us to do in week one or not and Mike Elko was saying that as well and it comes across just a little bit different right like it doesn't say oh you know we don't care we're going to go out there and play our best it's not like that it doesn't seem performative I guess is my point Wes it seems very genuine and they really are as focused as any football team that we talk to given their figures that they provided at ACC kickoff
2: yeah he's got a role in Durham man and that team they they have taken on his personality so you have to like everything coming out of Duke right now so this should be a fun team week uh, to preview this. It really will
0: be yeah this will be a fun one. Um, Man I've been so optimistic about all these teams that we've evaluated. It's not going to change I'm sorry. (laughs) Homer Walker he's in the building again all week long and I'm going to try to figure out some things to be disappointed about but I can't find it right now. The eternal optimist that is Walker Mayo. Let's move on and talk about the professional ranks. Bryce Young set to start again the Jets in the preseason. Is this the most anticipated debut since Cam Newton? We'll get to it coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
3: McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on a McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio.
2: That's right, folks. We are back. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Coming to you live from Charlotte, North Carolina, Sports Radio 92.7. Hit us up on that text line, 704 570 9610 Just posted the question of the day on the WFNZ Twitter and Instagram, as well as the Wesson Walker Show page, uh, which – Carolina Panthers rookie was the most anticipated in your opinion is it Bryce Young is it Cam Newton let us know uh there on a the text line whichever way you want to do it but talking about said rookie and his debut we're going to talk about Bryce Young s- set to start against the Jets and so is this the most anticipated debut walker in your opinion since one Cameron Jarrell I, I don't-
0: I don't know who would even come close to Bryce Young and Cam Newton. Those would be the two. You're talking about quarterbacks yeah. that are taking over after disappointing seasons. You go from Jimmy Clausen to Cam Newton after a Heisman winning season, after a championship, after one of the more dominant years that I still have ever seen in college football history, and Cam Newton comes over as that number one overall pick And what was a little bit of a debated number one pick, right? Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker. They both were on the cover of sports illustrated as well. Marty Herney told you a million times that it was always going to be cam. And I believe him. I mean, cause they had their choice, right? If It wasn't going to be cam. Then AJ green was going to be the guy coming out of that draft class. So the fact that they needed to go QB, it was going to be cam Newton after the type of seasons that he had. And I was really excited at what he was going to do in the preseason. And honestly, remember didn't play crazy well in the preseason, There was one throw that I really liked to Greg Olson that I can remember. Greg Olson is falling to the ground. remember it was his debut too with the team after he comes over in that Chicago bears trade. And I was like, okay, there's a couple of things to look for here that are exciting. And then bam, 400 yards game one, first one ever. In fact, two 400 yard performances and then becomes the first rookie ever to throw for 4,000 yards in his rookie season. Most anticipated debut still cam Newton to me overall, but second and a close one, But still second is Bryce Young, everybody else a distant third, at least in recent history.
2: I'm going Bryce Young for the money for the most anticipated since Cam and overall because I think that with Bryce being – uh, the guy that everybody's looking at, the size. Is he going to be able to take a hit? Is he going to be super fragile back there? Is he going to get balls batted down? All of these questions. So many fans are intrigued by this guy because he's not the typical six-four, two 230-pound guy back there in the pocket that's going to throw it. This is a, a very small quarterback by NFL standards, by any level standards. And so a lot of people are going to want to see off top how is he going to stack up in the league. And so that's why I go there with him, Uh, plus you know all of the pedigree that he comes with, the Heisman Trophy and coming out of Alabama and things of that nature. So I think that fans are definitely ready to see this guy going up against the Jets. Not sure how many starters they're going to play, but this Jets defense definitely has some formidable players on it, and so this will be a nice test for him, especially during the week when you're talking about the joint practices and those challenges they can provide to him with Sauce Gardner and some of the guys they have that can rush the passer there so it's going to be a great week for Bryce overall that will crescendo and him starting and Fiddy I'll bring you in as well what are your thoughts on this how anticipated do you feel like that this debut is
1: yeah I mean I, I think it's right behind Cam Newton like I can remember watching Cam's preseason debut and it was almost like an event like you know, it was coming out of the lockout, so you didn't know if you were going to get football. We get football back. You had a shortened preseason, and so you wanted to see what all he got. I think he went like 9 of 19, 9 of 20, and I remember watching Herm Edwards break it down on SportsCenter, and he made me believe even more that Cam's going to be the guy. I think what we want to see this Saturday is we want to see him get hit and get back up and make sure and that way he can just confirm that his body can hold up. At the NFL level, and I said this uh, on Charlotte Sports Today earlier, maybe y'all agree or disagree, this week we'll learn as much about Bryce Young as we've had all offseason long, up until week one, because you got the joint practices against the Jets, that's got a Quentin Williams on the defensive line, a Sauce Gardner in the secondary, then we'll see him in preseason action we're going to learn a lot about our rookie quarterback this week.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think we are. And I, I'm not going to say that it's going to be this over this sweeping statement that we should make on how his rookie season is going to go because Cam Newton is already a great example as to why you shouldn't do that because Cam wasn't phenomenal in preseason. And then he comes out and has one of the better, even throwing seasons we've ever seen. And, ever really one of the better rookie seasons that we've seen statistically. Maybe not winning. We've had other quarterbacks that step in right away and then lead their team to a playoff run. We've seen that before. But statistically, Cam Newton put up all sorts of numbers, and he's right. I just – that season that Cam Newton came off of in Auburn, it was utterly ridiculous. I mean, it was watching him – In the first game I ever saw highlights, it was, you know, against maybe even some no-name school that a lot of teams will open up with sometimes. Cam Newton, like at that size, looking like a defensive end, running away from cornerbacks. Oh, okay. I've never seen this before. And that's why the stature is so different. You're right, Wes. I'm excited to see Bryce Young, and I was excited to see Cam Newton. And it starts with them being the quarterback after a disappointing season, but also their statures are abnormal. To see Bryce Young this small, I absolutely want to see what that looks like on an NFL football field. With Cam Newton being one of the most athletic quarterbacks to ever come out of college football, I wanted to see what that was going to look like on an NFL football field. And so you're right, we can compare the statures and how much and how intriguing they are, but very different and yet still going to be... um, Yeah, really anticipated as we talk about, uh, you know, this being the debate and the only one that really comes close are are Cam Newton and Bryce Young and nobody else is really in that neighborhood.
2: And see, the interesting part is when we keep staying with that size debate and Bryce told Peter King, he said, quote, everyone is taller than me, but it's been like that. Height wise, I haven't seen anything different and so how long do you think it's going to take for him to be able to shake that because I feel like it's going to take two to three seasons before fans can give him the credit if he is able to remain durable I'm not calling the SEC the NFL by any stretch of the imagination and in this article written by Joseph Zucker of Bleacher Report he said that Bryce Young on the side's criticism, nothing different than playing in the NFL or Alabama. That was the headline of the piece. And so I've said, though, the SEC is the most drafted league. The SEC is definitely uh, littering the NFL with prospects on a year-in, year-out basis. So I do think if he's able to hold up there, that he can definitely hold up in the NFL. Granted, you have a lot of guys from other schools that were the man where they came from, and that presents a different challenge. But we know that the SEC is... NFL junior, I like to call it according to a lot of people. But I think, though, and it just intrigued me when I saw this, is to think about how long do you think it will take him before people actually forget about his size?
0: Yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever going to forget about his size. They might use it as a detriment or a piece of evidence as to... Because after that a while, we matter. never talked about Drew Brees' Oh, I, no, we still talk like about that. it, right? Like, you brought it up for... A re- you know what I'm saying?
2: Like I, think- I mean, we bring it up
0: in comparison to other
2: guys, but as far as, like, when your team would play the Saints, you weren't like, oh, they got that little old quarterback, man. We're going to put him out of the game. Like, you were just like, oh, we're playing Drew Brees and the Saints got I, I guess.
0: I guess in a negative connotation, it won't take long. I think if he performs well in his first season, then we won't talk about that being a negative thing anymore, but we're always going to talk about it. Just like we always talk about it with Drew Brees. We always bring it up with Russell Wilson. We always bring it up even with Kyler Murray. They're small QBs, but they've worked out. And that's the first thing it's among the top things people talk about with those guys. I mean, with either one of those QBs that have had success that are what six foot or under anything like that, I mean, we are always trying to compare, especially with some of these new guys that have come out, like Kyler being number one overall, like Bryce Young being number one overall. We just don't use it as a detriment anymore. We we use it as a, man, despite him being so small, he was still so good. There are pathways for these guys to be really good NFL quarterbacks when the prototypical guy was 6'4", 230 like you were talking about, or at least 6'4", with a little meat on your bones. Yeah, if if it works out to the point where he gets hurt, in you know week five week six then we're gonna say this is what we were all questioning it was a different type of size for Bryce Young I guess to your point even Drew Brees was bigger than Bryce Mm -hmm. even Russell Wilson stockier than Bryce the weight it it carries a lot you know no pun intended it carries a lot when you discuss Bryce's size compared to some of these other small QBs. Yeah, though. because
2: you will use it in comparison aspects so when you're talking about their careers from an overarching standpoint. But as far as just week to week when your team is playing against them, as far as using that as a detriment – to their team as to why you feel like your team may have an advantage. I guess that's what I mean more so when I'm talking about that you don't really think about it with those guys because they've proven they can play. They've proven that they could last. And so when you look at this first game coming up though how much do you feel like that he should play and what are your expectations in this first preseason matchup coming
0: up? Yeah because Frank Reich told us that he has a number in mind about how many series he would get how many snaps he would play. He says I do have an idea. There's flexibility in the plan. There has to be that's just being smart about it. They have a general idea, but that can be adjusted by 10 or 20 percent depending on how things go. Certainly, I think I want to see at least a couple of series to start this game. You know, I you know, if they'll have a, a nice script in the first series, let's say they go down the field and they score a touchdown. I'd actually like Bryce to come back out. I, even if you score a touchdown your first series, I like to see him play multiple and then be done with it. For me, I've never been one that needs to see QBs in the preseason. I have no problem with the Sean McVay mold of holding these guys out. But as a rookie, yeah, it's always going to be about how you perform in a real-time game-simulated mode where, no, it's not regular season, but the preseason is going to be closer to the regular season than you have in practice against your own guys. So I would still like to see with the crowd coming in, with that first-time experience, it's going to be at 4 p.m., so not quite a night game or anything like that. But fan base is going to be paying attention. As we lead off for the topic, is this the most anticipated debut since Cam Newton? You're going to have a lot of attention. And if you perform well, even with that attention surrounding you, then great. I would like to see you play a couple of series and then we'll see how much you want to play in the rest of the uh, preseason.
2: Yeah. I think in this first game, I'd like to see a couple of series as well, but it just depends on how they go. If you come in and have a three and out, then I maybe would want to see him in two more series. You know what I'm saying? So I think it depends on how they go. If you come out, have a touchdown drive in the first series, Maybe you could take him out after the first one, especially if he completes some nice passes. But I'd like to see two series as a minimum for him. Uh, I think as far as the expectations, ooh, I mean, that's going to be interesting because, again, it's a preseason game. You'd like to see a nice completion percentage. So to answer the question for the fans out there, what should the expectations be? I'd like to see 60% or better on the completions. Uh, If he plays a couple of series, I mean, I guess, 50 between 50 75 yards maybe something like that and then the optimum goal is you want to see a touchdown and zero interceptions however that touchdown may come preferably you'd like to see it on a pass and the yards could go up I mean let's just say comes out first play for an 80 yard touchdown and that would be phenomenal yeah yards don't really matter
0: you know what I'm saying especially if you're going to get a couple of series whether it's two whether it's three it doesn't really matter, okay? I don't know what the script is going to look like because I also don't want them to put him in harm's way. God, they're not going to do that. I'd like to see him hit at least a couple of mid, mid-level mid completions. Sure. So play him with the starters, too. Play him behind your best offensive line because I don't want him going out there, yeah, let's see what you do with, uh, let's get crazy and let's throw out some of our second-string <laughs> offensive linemen and then that, that's not going to happen either. I totally respect this coaching staff as everybody has talked about this entire offseason. So put them out there behind the starters and then throw, you know, put them out there for a couple of series, but I just want them to look sharp. I mean, are you completing passes? Are you making right reads? I don't really care how many yards you end up with. If you have two passing plays and you have five running plays, because that's what the defense has given you. And you want to try to simulate something close to regular season game action as possible, then okay. And then maybe the next series you have four passing attempts I, yeah, the yards don't matter, right? Like, we're we're going to come in here and praise Bryce Young if he looks good throwing for 130, and we're going to praise Bryce Young if he comes in and throws for 70. As long as he looks sharp, as long as he's accurate, as long as he's making the right decisions, we'll spin it positively as long as it deems fit.
2: Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see the plan that Carolina has in this first preseason game, but either way, glad to see uh, football, and we're glad to see and hear a fitty flash Let's go. Fitting. Ah, that
1: was a nice uh, introduction for my flash there, Wes. I like when you introduce me as opposed to uh, when Walker <laughs> used a flash. All right,
0: good. I just won't go to you
1: anymore. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. hope it's a good one. It's the last <laughs> one of the day. <laughs> All right, so we did college football on the last flash. We'll do a little college basketball here. Reigning national champion UConn will take on North Carolina in this season's Jimmy V Classic, along with Final Four participant Florida Atlantic, who will take on Illinois in the other matchup. These two matchups headline the 29th annual doubleheader uh, which will take place on December 5th at MSG. Both games, of course, will be on ESPN. And three of the four teams were ranked inside the ESPN's most recent top 25 with UConn number five, FAU at number nine, and Carolina coming in at number 15. All three teams have made final four runs within the last two NCAA tournaments. And, Walker, you grew up a Carolina basketball fan. I remember my one of my uh, very first memories was watching them play UConn. In a home and home when Roy Williams was first came back to Chapel Hill, now these two-story programs, they'll meet at the world's most famous arena in the Jimmy V Classic. Yeah, I'm trying to think. They had some fun matchups against
0: UConn back in the day. I remember a Quran Butler playing against North Carolina. That would have been, I think, maybe even earlier than Roy Williams. It would have been mm. right when he came back oh, if so Butler was, there, so was still playing. I'm trying to remember if he was there. Uh, anyways definitely one that I always would get hyped for and just like North Carolina, Kentucky when you have some of those out of conference but monster powerhouse college basketball programs it was real cool to see North Carolina take some of those guys on
2: yeah anytime you can see two great programs especially those two play against each other man it's going to always be fun so that should be excellent and when we come back we're going to get into the basketball team here in Charlotte aka the Charlotte Hornets on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ
0: Walker Sports Radio 927 WFNZ Would you guys believe it if I told you that the Charlotte Hornets made multiple signings over the weekend? I would not. That they actually made two moves in free agency? Oh man, and they're doozies. They brought in Frankie Smokes, Frank Ntilikina, former first-round pick from the New York Knicks, and also RJ Hunter, former first-round pick Of the Boston Celtics, who has played, I believe, like 40 games combined in his NBA career. But at least they made a couple of signings. Fitty, what are your favorite Knicks memories about Frank Nilekina? Uh,
1: When they traded him? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I figured it was going to be something like that.
1: Also, you said R.J. Hunter, and you said he played in 40-something games. Not even, I don't even think. Y'all remember what made him become a first-round NBA draft pick, right? I remember the time that he hit
0: the NCAA tournament game winner over Baylor. And it sent his dad to the ground (laughs) who was using, I don't even know what that thing is called. (laughs) It's like a scooter. I think it was just this scooter because he tore his ACL. And as soon as RJ Hunter hit that shot, he fell to the ground. I I hope not further injuring him. I don't, I think he was okay, but yes, that shot was crazy. I remember being in college, watching him hit that shot. It was a fantastic moment. But that is probably what got R.J. Honey, he had a great season that yeah. year, too, but has not played since 2018, 2019. It's been a long time since he played in the NBA. Actually flamed out quite fantastically so after being a first-round pick. But Frankie Smokes, great nickname, okay? Like Frankie Smokes, phenomenal nickname. I don't know on this
2: team if that's a good nickname. Guess
0: <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> with some of the troublemakers you're saying that they might have, Yeah, yeah you know, it might okay. not be a good
1: Got to keep him course. away from book night, you know? Yeah,
0: I guess so. Or
1: he'll be but, getting booked again. Um, okay. Ooh. Yeah,
0: we're, we're rolling. We're rolling deep here. <laughs> we're rolling real strong with some of the jokes against the Charlotte Hornets. But again, this has been a franchise that has not been winning a whole lot and not been making a lot of signings this off season, but Frank Ntilikina, <laughs> one of the bigger ones. And so he signs a one year deal. Don't have any details about it. I think it's probably going to be a non-guaranteed contract, The thing about Frank is his defense has always been very good. Offensively, he's been a really tough watch. Yeah. So this reminds me, Wes, of a Dennis Smith Jr. light. They let Dennis Smith Jr. go to the Brooklyn Nets. Apparently, Dennis Smith Jr. felt that Brooklyn made him a priority. Charlotte, reportedly by Michael Scotto, made a better offer. But DSJ liked his role more so with the Brooklyn Nets. And so he moves on to Brooklyn And you go after Frank Nidalekeen after a couple of years with the Dallas Mavericks. And offensively, he hadn't shot one season above 40% from the field. The only offensive category that is your traditional one that you could point to is Frank is a slightly, and I mean ever so slightly, better three-point shooter than DSJ is. But it's not very good. He's still not good offensively. Not as good of a facilitator. Doesn't get to the free throw line nearly as much. Really, this is, can you hit enough shots? in order to stay out on the floor and make a significant impact defensively and you don't just destroy us offensively. And if you can do that, you might enter the rotation, but ultimately it's going to be an uphill climb. Even in hindsight, with how good DSJ was defensively last year and offensively did enough to stay on the floor, even if you erase what DSJ did last year, Frank comes in having achieved less than what DSJ did.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, the signings, I don't know how much they should mean in the grand scheme of things because when you're talking about Frankie Smokes, I mean 36% from the field, 25% from three. I mean that to me, I don't know how much you help an NBA team in this Uh, era playing basketball, shooting those numbers, the defense better be, I mean he better be the glove, 2.0 3.0, (laughs) 4.0. More like a mitten, Gary. He better be able to lock up Michael Jordan in his prime with those types of numbers shooting the basketball. Then RJ, I mean, I don't know, is he going to be a a camp body? I mean, That's what it's going to be. Yeah, that's what I feel like because if you go overseas and average uh, less than 10 points, that doesn't give me a great indication that you're going to make an NBA team and for a team that I know the injuries and all of those things but uh, when you were as deficient as the Hornets could be, uh, a lot of times last season, they got to get some guys in there that can also uh, put some balls in the hoop.
0: So we we got owner comments too. Uh, I believe this was on Thursday. We got to hear from Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall. They spoke to the media for the first time. And if we gave our overall takeaway on that, I know we talked about some of the comments in depth during the actual day that they hosted media availability was there any tone that you got or was it just totally fine and nothing to point out i mean that that's what i walked away with it 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 felt like the hornets were trying to relate to the fan they were trying to sell that they were going to be local owners that rick Schnall apparently bought an apartment in charlotte because he feels local ownership is significant so he was trying to sell that message to the fan base great i don't look we just want to win basketball games that's what we would like the most as You can live in New York. That's cool. I just hope that you can help us win basketball games. But ultimately, Wes, I didn't see anything that made me think, yes, they 100% won the press conference. That They didn't lose it. It was totally fine what both of these guys had to say at the podium.
2: Yeah, the thing for me that I like, though, they did at least – Pacify me saying that they want to be as aggressive as they can be in free agency, going after big name free agents, improving the facilities, giving Charlotte a standalone practice facility. Those are things I want to hear, because when Fiddy and I were talking about it on Friday, went and looked at Atlanta's practice facility uh, that they bought. And uh, it looked fantastic. And I said, those are the type of things I feel like that you need to do to be able to get free agents. Maybe not the end all be all, but at least a small portion to make your organization looks like it is first class Mm -hmm. and and about winning and providing players with a great environment. Because Fiddy and I were talking during the break and he's like, well, I don't know necessarily how much facilities uh, mean a lot. And so I was like, no, it's a lie. You spend a lot of your time at these facilities when you're a pro. So you want to have first class things that guys want to go to. So at least I felt like that they want to put resources into winning and that they are at least telling us, giving us the lip service at minimum, that they want to be guys that are going to go after the top players in the league and try at all costs uh, to be able to win. So those are some of the things that I took from it. Uh, I'm not sure just if they'll be just going crazy with the money, like a Steve Ballmer and one of those type of guys, or if they're going to be more...
0: Well, they don't have Ballmer money.
2: This is true, but just don't know how they want to approach it. Uh, Can they be Steve Ballmer-like with the money that they have? I guess is what I would say say. So we'll see if that turns out to be the case. But as far as just the positives that I took from it at least even if you're just telling me these things and we'll see if you show it uh, I, I thought that was what Uh, I wanted to hear at least and I thought that was something positive to take away.
0: It's going to be tough to figure out what the checkpoints of success are because ownership ultimately we evaluate that on long-term checkpoints. I I don't know what in the short term they're going to be able to do. There are going to be some decisions and then we'll see what happens at a midway point of the year or whatever. We have a couple of signings that are pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things that we saw over the weekend with Frankie Smokes as well as RJ Hunter. Um, So we'll see what happens but it'll be interesting to see if there's any short-term success, short-term failures that we can't evaluate before we have to wait a year, two years, or the five years that Rick Schnall is going to hold top authority as it starts to exchange hands. My listener question I wanted to ask, and then we can come back from the break giving them the answer, but I have a huge undertaking with Lockdown Hornets West because we did this in 2018. I've talked about it before. When the Charlotte Hornets were celebrating their 30th year anniversary, in honor of that, I decided to put together a top 30 Charlotte Hornets of all time list. Okay. So now here we are celebrating the 35th year anniversary. I'm giving you the top 35 Hornets of all time. I want to see if people can guess. I've already said it on lockdown Hornets. Hopefully you can play and, you know, play within the spirit of the game. Hopefully you didn't cheat. But I want people to guess who do they think I ranked number 35 to kick off the list. Do you have any guesses before we go to break? What's your guess? If you had to guess... The 35th best Charlotte Hornet slash Ooh. Bobcat of all time. Who would fit that neighborhood? Fiddy? you can guess as well if you have anybody at the top of the dome. Any guess, first and Matt foremost? Geiger. That's a great one, Wes. It really is very good. <laughs> what do you have, Fitty?
1: Oh, Matt Carroll. That's a very good guess. Both
0: Matts. Yeah. Both very good. I'll tell you if you're right. After the break. Oh, listeners nice text tea. in seven oh four five seven zero ninety six ten. It's the two o'clock hour coming up next on Sports Radio ninety-two seven WFNZ.